Hello, Wizards fans, and welcome to another episode of Off the Bench presented by Alibaba Group. Zach Rosen here from WashingtonWizards.com with Jacob Raymond, Chris Gehring, and on the line to help us with our huge uh, season extravaganza preview is Fred Katz from the Athletic DC and Wizards After Dark. Uh, Fred, how are you this morning? We're so close to opening night. I am. Uh, I'm great. Thanks for thanks for having me on. This has been my whole goal becoming a Wizards beat writer to get on this podcast. So I'm very excited about it. Fred, you've been on this podcast before. <laughs> I know. I went on it, and I was like, you know what? I, I I gotta make sure I stay around another year because that was the most rewarding experience of my life. Fred, I'm also gonna be honest. You can come on this podcast exactly as frequently as you would like. Do you want to host the no, podcast? No, yeah. No, no, I, think, <laughs> I, I think once is fine. <laughs> okay, we'll start at we'll start at one and we'll go from there. Well, Fred, you've been around this team now a year plus, uh, going through training camp and preseason. I guess we can start with the big overarching question: What are your expectations this season? Um, and I know you've written a lot about you know the culture, the leadership of Bradley Beal, and all that. So, in a nutshell, you know what are you kind of looking at this year? You know, I think everybody in the organization talks about it. Scott Brooks has talked about it. Tommy Shepard has really been very open about it. Even Bradley Beal has talked about the goals for this year are not necessarily a certain number of wins, a certain number of losses. And I've always thought that was a really interesting contrast to how unbelievably results-based they were as recent as last year. You know, right before training camp, you had Ted Leonsis coming out and saying, goal was 50 wins and obviously completely different context this roster is not built for the 2019-20 season it's built for years beyond that and hopefully they can find guys who can they can develop and be good and they can stick around but because of that that's what this year is about it's about development so what i'm looking for is you know how how much uh is bradley b or not even how much is bradley beal invested because obviously he's invested he just extended you don't extend if you're not invested but in what ways is bradley beal showing his investment in the younger guys and in the organization how is he leading um you know which of the the young guys who aren't necessarily big names not not the thomas bryans not the rui hachimuras not the troy browns not the first round picks or the guys who got big deals but uh, you know, Justin Robinson or Mo Wagner, who actually is a first round pick, but, you know, didn't have a good year uh, as a rookie in Los Angeles. Th- those guys, uh, Isaac Bonga, those guys who the Wizards kind of kind of picked up for basically for free. Right. I mean, they gave up literally the least you are allowed to give up in a deal for the Lakers guys uh, in order to get them because the Lakers were just trying to offload money. Uh, the, you know, those guys are any of those going to hit? Because if some of those start to hit and they show that they can pick up guys who might have been in the G League last year or whatever it was, and you can have a 25% hit rate on those guys, like all of a sudden you're starting to form some sort of an organizational identity. And I think that's kind of the overarching theme. Like what is the organizational identity going to be? I know they want it to be. They want to be smart. They want to be crafty. They want to be prodding. Uh, they want to be reasonable. They want to be analytics-based. You know, Tommy Shepard always says we're character-driven and we're data-driven, right? And that's what they want to be, and I believe that's what they're trying to be. But, you know, let's see. I'm so curious to see how it's all going to pan out, how they're going to get there, and, uh, you know, if they get there. Because a lot of organizations want to be data-driven and character-driven, and uh, for whatever reason, sometimes things slide the other way. And, uh, you know, following that journey is going to be fascinating to me. 
You know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, a lot about how the, a lot of the season will come down to how the young players develop. And, and we know that the development of Thomas Bryant, Troy Brown, and Rihachimura is crazy paramount to this team's future. But finding those, um, those diamonds in the rough, so to speak, um, within the organization is also crazy important. Give us, um, if you had to pick now one or two guys this season that you, um, in your eminent wisdom, see developing for this team into um, important parts of the future. Yeah, I mean, you're, are you saying aside from... Uh, not aside Thomas, from, not Troy, not Rui. Yeah. Um, that's tough. See, Jordan McRae, I think, is the best of the lot. Like, the best today of the lot. But that's because he's not 21. You know? So so that's tough. I know they like Justin Robinson a lot. I have i don't really have my own opinions on Justin Robinson yet because it's been five preseason games and that's it. But I know they like Justin Robinson a lot. And from their perspective, I'm just guessing. I haven't specifically asked that question to anyone in the organization. But I feel like if you polled like, the important people, you know, you know who the important people are. If you poll the important people with the Wizards. So Zach, Gehring, and myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I've been convinced for a long time now that Zach is secretly running the Wizards. Interesting, <laughs> interesting. Which He's Zach? Now we have like 12. The whole, the whole operation. Someone someone commented on a story that I wrote recently, and said and said uh, at least your name isn't Zach like all other sports writers. <laughs> I was like, I, somehow I feel insulted by that because you're saying the only thing that's good about me isn't Zach, but you're also insulting all sports writers named Zach. So it's really a double whammy insult. It's it's it's, it's really good. Yeah. Also, I feel like there are lots of sports writers not named Zach. <laughs> I feel like I can think of a lot now, right off the top of my head. Yeah, Funny um, that, Zach Harper. Know, Damn it! Zach. <laughs> you know, Zach Randolph was the first Zach ever to play in the NBA. Yes, he was. I have his jersey because of it. Well, there you go. He was he was literally a trailblazer, Zach. Uh, Tommy. Uh, <laughs> uh, that. That's the Fred Katz humor that we've all been waiting for. Yeah, it took you. It only took you six minutes and thirty-eight seconds to drop a pun. Oh, it took me one year, six minutes and thirty-eight seconds, <laughs> uh, and I will drop another one next year when I'm on. One this. another Randolph Nugget is that his nickname Zebo. That's what Tommy Shepard calls me, Zebo. So there's a lot of ZR Zach Randolph. Why connections. does he call you Zero? Uh, he just goes with Zebo. Don't question. I mean, you and Z- Zach Randolph really have the same body types. Oh, yeah. We're both real thick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is going off the rails. Anyway. So, so Justin Robinson. Guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, my guess to that would be Justin Robinson, just because of the way that the Wizards talk about him, and I think potentially the opportunity he's going to get. You know, Isaiah Thomas has not played a lot of games the last two years, and if Isaiah Thomas is out for the start of the year, which is looking less and less likely. We don't know for sure, but he, he's back at practice now, and uh, it's definitely possible he's back you know, sooner sooner rather than later. But if he's out for the beginning of the year, misses a couple of games, Justin Robinson's going to have an opportunity because Ish Smith is literally the only guy on the roster who has experience playing point guard in an NBA level. You know, Bongo was literally in the NBA last year, but 
played what a couple of minutes maybe as an actual point guard most of the time the lakers used him as a wing and he barely played the nba anyway i mean he was almost exclusively a g league player for that entire year he was the youngest or second youngest player in the league last year and so the lakers just felt he'd be best down there i feel like it's probably going to be similar this year unless he really shows but he's going to have an opportunity too at the beginning in all likelihood because all the threes are hurt um I think Justin Robinson, who you know is a rookie and Bonga's not, but is older than Bonga, I think his game looks more refined. I think he probably looks a little bit more ready. Uh, and if he capitalizes on that opportunity, like maybe that's something. The Wizards, look, not a lot of non-drafted rookies end up getting um, you know, a $250,000 guarantee right off the bat. That's the team without training camp, without everything else, uh, that's the team showing confidence in a guy without actually having him around yet to see how he works on a on a daily basis. So, so I think uh, you know the confidence in him is there from the organization, uh, from both the monetary and an emotional and a developmental standpoint. Uh, you know that that's all there too, uh, and so uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Justin Robinson. Love it. What about I, I know that it's 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 difficult to draw parallels at this point, but is it fair to say that the Wizards are trying to take this a, a similar approach that, that maybe like the Spurs have in the past, the Raptors have in the past of this like winning on the margins type of thing, and then using that success and that blueprint to land the big claim, to land a Kawhi that puts you over the top, um, something like that, and is that something that I think is like I think that's something that we've talked about a lot in the past, but now it seems that that's kind of the, the road that they're really on, and it'll be very interesting to see all these guys, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, if they can develop into some of those pieces that are ready-made to fit and, and ready if they are ever able to to land somebody like that. Am I am I allowed to talk about Messiah on here? Of that's, course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's a. No, that was, I, I feel like that joke went over everybody's head. But <laughs> it did not so, go over our heads. We just chose to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great example. I think Toronto's a great example of that. I think Brooklyn is a great example of that. Uh, there are a lot of organizations that have tried to do that, and it hasn't worked. Uh, you know, uh, Orlando, to a certain degree, was just kind of trying to bring in young guys and hope that worked. And, Phoenix was just kind of trying to bring in young guys and hope it worked. And Orlando actually has gotten good. It just took a really, really long time for you know them to become a playoff team last year. Um, I think even I think some mix between kind of what what Toronto has done and what Brooklyn has done, if you're going to map out the ideal way to do this thing, some mix between that would be great. Obviously, the Wizards are in a better situation now than Brooklyn was when Sean Marks took over in 2015. And, you know, everything was just totally... 2015? 2016. And everything was like, you know, everything was terrible. They didn't have first-round picks and all of that. And the Wizards have their own pick. They have the ability to draft guys. And even though they're, you know, missing a number of second-round picks, Thomas Shepard recovered a bunch of them this past summer. Uh, and I, I think the way that this works, if it does work is just like make sure you capitalize on opportunities where other teams who aren't prioritizing the margins 
make sure you know about those. Make sure you are able to get in on those and make sure you're in a position organizationally. So that means your cap sheet, the way your roster is laid out, all that kind of stuff. Made up, you're in a, make, sure, make sure you're in a position so when something unexpected comes up that you're able to capitalize. Uh, you know, you look at like Brooklyn, they were able to trade the final year of Brook Lopez's deal to Los Angeles for so they could take on Timothy Mozgov's long-term deal, which was a similar salary, uh, but the Lakers were looking to offload money and get an expiring contract, and in order to do that, they were able to take on an asset, and that's how they got D'Angelo Russell. And so essentially, they get that just for having to pay um, you know, Mozgov for that year. The Wizards are in a position where they could, if they decide to, if they say, okay, we're shooting for 2021-22. Like, these next two years, we're going to rebuild we're going to build up with young players and as many draft picks as we can and all that kind of stuff. They, they're in a position where they could do things like that, you know, and they don't have to do that exact type of trade. There are a million different ways that this concept can be applied, but I think they are trying to apply that concept. I mean, that's kind of why that's what the Lakers trade was. I mean, the Lakers trade was, Hey, look, we have trade exceptions. Let's let's take these guys for free and give back one point one million dollars in cash, which is the least amount of money that you can give up in a trade, and that's it. And let's get a second round pick unprotected out of it too, in a year that might end up being the year where high school players are in the draft. It might end up being one of the strongest drafts in the NBA or one of the deepest drafts in the NBA in years. Uh, so so that sort of trade is exactly the type of trade, even if none of those Lakers players end up being guys who they keep for the future I mean you still get basically a second round pick unprotected in 2022 for nothing so it's still worth it uh, you know those are the sorts of deals that make perfect sense the Bertans trade same type of thing another trade exception deal where it's like yeah let's take him into the trade exception because the Spurs need to get rid of him for cap reasons so like that's another type of thing I think they want to continue to make those sorts of deals and Tommy Shepard I, in my opinion was very clever about getting them he loves trade exceptions the front office really loves trade exceptions they've always had a lot he's always wanted to open those up even before it was gm they still have a couple more ones that are like actually usable we're waiting to find out about the john wall designated player exception which which could be uh you know something else that they could use either to bring somebody in or they could use it as a tool to open up another trade exception whenever they make that trade so uh you know they're there are things that they're that are doing that are very clever and i think because of that they're going to continue to do them i'm going to ask the token Rui question since zach akuma isn't here uh big shout out zach akuma. yeah what a another sports writer named zach <laughs> <laughs> what are you what are you looking from Rui in his first year like how do we constitute success for him and you know is he's going to be one of the rookies with the biggest spotlight obviously internationally and then within the league really I mean he's being given the keys it appears to start right away so how do we define success for him in this first season yeah how do you define success for Rui can we be abstract yes 100% you right, don't need so to put like, like 11 points more, per game six rebounds yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I will say man you know what now I'm like thinking about what my answer to this would be 
And as I'm thinking about what my answer would be, I'm like, man, this is going to sound like coach speak. Oh, but this also, this should probably end up as a column, and if it does, give us credit. <laughs> deal. Uh, I would say that the deal with rookies, with good rookies, is that just get better every month or two. Like, you want to look back on a rookie and just not see that he's regressing. Because I think Rui is talented. And I think he's he's had games where he's played better than others. He's had games where he's played worse than others. But he looks like an NBA player. You know, there's some rookies who you watch play, and you're like, that guy, when he's not playing well, he just doesn't look like he belongs. Like, Rui didn't play well against Milwaukee and still walked out of the building with a double-double. Like, he, he looks like he belongs. Uh, so I think the goal for him has got to be in December – if you look and he's playing worse than he was in October, you reassess. But in December, if he's playing better, you're like, okay, now let's let's see what else we can do. And then in February, you look back and was he better than he was in, he was in December? Okay, great, he is. That's awesome. End of the season in April, is he better than he was at the All Star break? He is. Okay, great. And if that's what it is, regardless of the starting point, because he's going to have struggles. And he's for one particular night, he could be worse than he was in October. You know, one particular night in March, he might be worse than he was on opening night. That's fine. You want to look at the big picture. You want to look at the larger sample. You want to look at the greater themes. You don't want to be looking at, oh, we shot three for 13 tonight, so we played terribly. Um, you want to be looking at the greater themes. How is his form on the three-point shot? Is he more comfortable? They're trying to change the way that he shoots. Is his is he more consistent? Is he making reads the right way? Is he making quicker decisions? Just like decisions that have nothing to do with the box score. Like his defender held off of him, and now he's cutting a, a split second earlier than he was earlier in the year. Or like, you know, Beal is coming up and the offense has been stagnant. He realizes, you know what, I'm going to go set a ball screen. And he realizes it right away as opposed to with 14 seconds left on the shot clock as Beal's been dribbling around in half court for three seconds. Like there, those things, if those things are coming later in the year and early in the year, then I think it's an encouraging rookie season. And obviously, if the numbers end up increasing too because of his positive play, that's great. But with a rookie, it's like rookies are almost never good. You know, by the by the the actual term, like thought of somebody being good, of helping the team and being a net positive on the court, even really good rookies are usually not good. They're just they're rookies. Yeah, the is really hard. Yeah, well, he he is in a, a major exception. Uh, but most rookies are Trey Young for his first two and a half months. I yeah. mean, he ends up finishing second in Rookie of the Year, and everybody agrees, myself included, that he is going to be an awesome offensive point guard. Like, I think he's going to have a huge year, and he was awesome for the last three months, but the first two months of Trey Young, Trey Young season last year, and he had like an epic rookie year, he was a below average NBA player. It's just really hard to make that transition. It's really, really hard, and so you can't look at it and be like, oh, he's not contributing right now this is a failure you just can't especially considering he started playing basketball like seven minutes ago right like you just have to look at those incremental improvements and if you believe in the talent then you believe that the inter incremental improvements are going to keep going um you know we um we know this season that um that bradley beal is going to be asked to carry an extraordinarily load of this offense his usage percentage is going to be 
as high as he wants it to be, more or less. This is this is his team. So in that regard, to you, you know, similar question to Rui, very different, um, um, very different subject matter. What constitutes a successful season for Beal this year, and what does he still need to? What is he? What's an area of uh, that he still needs to improve on? I would say, in the large sense, kind of just distributing and floor generaling. He's he's inched closer and closer to becoming a point guard who just kind of plays the two because that's like just what his body dictates that he does. Uh, and like you know, it's like if you're six five and you shoot threes and you're a scorer, you just kind of be, end up being wedged into being a two. And from the way he come up and the way he the way he came up, the way he played as a kid and then college and as a young NBA player, he was a really true two. His skill set is just becoming so versatile that he's just kind of one of those combo guards. And he basically was that last year. I think the Wizards will end up playing him at point guard more this year than they did last year. And I think his distributing can go up another level. I think that's some I know that's something he worked on this summer. And though I think he was legitimately good at that last year, I think he can be very good at it. I don't see why not. Like he Bradley Beal's another guy where if you just look at like year to year, he gets better, especially over the last three or four when he's been healthy, and he hasn't had any like medical hurdles. He's gotten better. Like every year you come back and you can notice, especially as a as a facilitator, that guy is a better pick and roll player. He's a better passer. He's better at going through his reads. He's gonna have to be better at figuring out double teams when he gets trapped in pick and rolls because he likes to run pick and rolls now and a lot of the times two defenders come at him and when two defenders come at him he's got to be quicker in getting rid of the ball like even just the small nuances of it like he's more comfortable passing to a roll man when he gets trapped than he is passing to a pop, uh, a big man who's popping and I've spoken about that with him and he said yeah you know what it is is I have to get rid of the ball even quicker when it's a pop guy I think he's also very comfortable with when he gets trapped he likes to throw bounce passes and it's easier to throw a bounce pass to a roll guy just the angle is a little bit easier than it is to a, a screener who was popping to the three point line and so like even just those small things now he's playing with a lot of big men who shoot threes Tom Bryant's going to shoot threes this year but Wagner uh, you know he's going to have to if Berton's a screen for him that same thing and so like those small nuances he's such a great player now that the things he has to improve on are just small nuances to really tighten up and go from being like a third team all NBA caliber to second all NBA team all NBA caliber right in order to do that uh, those are the small nuances he has to, to tighten up. And, and to me, he has the most of those as a facilitator. And that's on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I mean, I did not think he had a great defensive season last year. But so much of that is just like his offensive burden is one of the highest in the NBA. And it's going to be no different this year. So I don't know how much of the improvement on that. Just like Beal, uh, you know... You know, he'll fall asleep off the ball sometimes and that kind of stuff. Like, But I don't know if that's just him resting off the ball because he physically can't put all of this into the court. And that's not a knock on his conditioning. He's in incredible shape. That's just how pretty much every star athlete who has to run a team by himself is like. I mean, that's just kind of what you see. you got to rest at some point. And 
they're going to take their lumps in those times of their rest. So I don't necessarily want to add that as something to it. I think the distributing is is a way more realistic thing that will happen. And my prediction is it will happen. I think it's going to be better this year. I, I wanted to mention, we mentioned that, that Troy, Rui, and Thomas are in a similar spot. Obviously, Rui's still a rookie, but they're, they're in the situation where they're all going to be thrust into bigger roles. They are still incredibly young and have learning to do. For maybe Troy and Thomas, since we talked about rookies, uh, Rui, what, is, there a, is there a number, is there a specific statistic for each of them that they need to, that they need to improve on, get better at? Is there something that you're looking for? Or is it just, like you mentioned, when, when Thomas is open for three and Brad needs to find him, does he just need to be able to knock down that shot a little bit more? Does he need to rebound a little bit better? Do they need to create a little more, a little bit more deflections on defense? What is there a, is there a metric or an eye test that you're kind of looking for for those two guys as they hopefully yeah, get so a full for, season in? Yeah, if we're going metrics for Thomas Bryant, I'm going to say uh, opponents shot, I believe it was 62% at the rim on shots he contested last year, and basically of any center with with basically as many opportunities as he had contesting shots at the rim. That was the third worst percentage in the league. That's not what you want to see from a guy who has a 7'5", seven, 7'6", seven, wingspan. And I know he knows that. One of his big things last year was when he was around the rim, he just didn't put his hands up that much. Like he would defend with his hands down, which is a, a pretty basic defensive principle, right? Like when you're playing on your nine-year-old basketball team, your coach is telling you, hands up, hands up, or at least hands at your side. And I feel like a guy who's 6'10", with a 7'5 wingspan, just shouldn't have that number, you know? And I know he spent the summer working on, um, you know, working on his strength, and that's something. Because when he went up against, like, big centers last year, Joel Embiid just kind of ate him alive. Uh, Steven Adams, especially early in that game in OKC, which they ended up winning, and he kind of fought back. Uh, but early in that game, it was like, man, Steven Adams is so much stronger than him. I saw Whiteside, Andre Drummond, these these really big, strong, burly centers gave him a lot of trouble last year and would just kind of out-physical him. And I know he worked on his, with just core strength, lower body strength, everything over the summer. We're going to see how much that helped. And I think that helps in protecting the rim, too. But I think the number one thing is like, you got long arms. If you can just read the play right, get in somebody's way, you're just gonna kind of annoy people into missing shots. And I feel like that number can realistically go down without him having to improve that many things unrealistically, you know? Um, And I think that's gotta be number one because I think we can all agree, he's a very good offensive center. He was one of the most efficient players in the league last year. He's a really good pick and roll player. I think he's going to shoot threes well. He shot him in like a 36% clip on five a game in the G League a couple of years ago. I think he's going to shoot him better and more often than he did last year. And everybody, well, anybody who has ever worked with Thomas Bryant will tell you that dude works so hard. So like the offense is going to come. He's going to score from like a fantasy perspective. He's going to be putting up probably big numbers this year, and I'd be shocked if he wasn't Bradley Beal's second option. But on the defensive end, it's like if you're a center who isn't making, who is making a negative impact defensively, 
that that's that's painful because that is the position where you're going to make the largest impact in either direction. If you're really good, you can hold up a defense, and if you're really bad, you can tear down a defense. And I think that's the easiest part of his defense to uh, to make better. Um, Troy Brown, um, I think his patience. I'm going at test with this one. He's really smart. He's really, really smart, and I think he's going to end up being a really cerebral player. Uh, and I don't know if he'll ever be a full-time point guard because defensively, I just like can't necessarily see him guarding guys like Ish Smith. Like I just can't necessarily see him doing that. And so I don't know if he'll ever really be like a true point guard because you kind of are what you guard. But if he comes in being a more patient pick and roll guy a more patient facilitator kind of sees the game and then lets it tell him what to do which i also think is a realistic kind of developmental thing for him because he is extremely extremely smart and i think he will end up being an extremely smart player and he, he hones in on that as a 20 year old that's going to be really big because if he's already there at 20 then he can start working on the physical stuff. Then it's like, okay, all he's got to do is fix his shot to get up to like 35% on cash and shoot threes, and you've really got a useful player. Uh, and so I think if he can if he can hone in on that and become like an elite intelligence guy, uh, then then all of a sudden like you've got you've got a really a really nice uh, nice guy there. Was nice. there somebody else? Or were those no, the two? that's it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. Not of the guys we've talked about, but just another, you know, X factor that you're, you know, looking forward to watching this year that could, you know, be the difference from, let's be real, you know, 25 and 30 wins or, you know, 28 and 32 wins. Davis Bertans, man. Davis Bertans is, watching him in the preseason, he's outrageous. And I've written this and I've told this to everybody who is willing to listen. Uh, that Davis Bertans shot the exact same percentage on corner threes as John Wall shot on layups last year. That is a real stat, and that is so ridiculous. Uh, he shot sixty percent on corner threes last year. Yeah, that's that's his. He shot sixty percent on corner threes, which means that Davis Bertans' corner three was worth one point eight points per possession. So a corner three from him was the equivalent of a couple of free throws from a 90% free, from like Ray Allen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, we think of like free throws from Ray Allen as the most automatic ones you can get, right? And he, Dallas Burton's corner three last year was worth the same amount. And that is just total insanity to me. Um, he had an unbelievable shooting season. He's one of the best shooters in the league. I can't imagine it'll be any different this year. I think he's going to fit in seamlessly with them. Um, and this is the biggest role he's ever going to play. And if it turns out he's really good at it, like he could make a difference. I mean, if he, he could have a night where he just splashes in a million threes and they upset somebody. And he could do that four times this year. I don't see why not. He's an unbelievable shooter. Like a really, really unbelievable shooter so uh to me it's like you want an x factor who's going to help i mean we kind of know what bertans is but when you put him in a bigger role uh you know you give him an opportunity to go off a little bit more uh and you know if he unexpectedly goes for for 26 on any given night that will help them 
and I think I think he's I just think he's a really helpful player. I just think he's one of those guys who you could plug into all 30 NBA teams and they would find room in their rotation for him and play him that night and be really excited about it because he's just he's really low maintenance and he has and he's more versatile than he gets credit for. Like he's not Anthony Morrow, you know. He he moves on offense. He's capable of doing some stuff with the ball if you really need him to. He's not a bad passer. He's really he's really a good ball mover. Uh, he's a better defender than his reputation would say. Um, he's like a little slithery when he's guarding screens and that kind of stuff. So I just think he's a he's a really really helpful player who could help anybody, and I think will help them. And he's only 26, which you know he's in year I think 12 of playing professional basketball, but he's still only 26. I, th- I feel like, it, I know this is a little before you started covering the Wizards, but I'm sure you remember that when the Wizards got Boyan Bogdanovich a few years ago, you know, he would come off the bench and hit like six threes and just kind of carry them some nights. And I feel like I could see Bertans doing that a few times this year. Yeah, I, I agree. And I this totally is before Bogdanovich was like a, you know, now he's like a really good player in Indiana. I, I, well, now he's in Utah, but like last year in Indiana, he kind of jumped onto the scene more of a two-way guy but when he was here he was still only really a scorer yeah no i agree i I think he's totally going to have those games uh you know in san antonio it's harder to have those games because they had a really deep roster but he was also like you look at the numbers and individual plus minus can be misleading you got to go back and look at the film and see how they happen and all that but every year he is part of like some of the spurs best lineups Mm -hmm. And when you watch the Spurs, you can see why. It's like defenses are horrified of him. They're they're really scared of him. You cannot help off of him. The amount of space that he creates, like when I, I know he's in all likelihood he, he's gonna be coming off the bench to start the year, but you know, we'll we'll see who closes, you know? It's perfectly plausible Rui starts and he closes at the beginning of the year, right? I think Scott Brooks is going to want to play him and Beal decent minutes alongside each other. Because, like, man, San Antonio would run these plays, which were super simple. It's like DeMar DeRozan loves running off screens, like just like curls at the elbow, right? And DeMar DeRozan is more of a, like a mid-range fiend. He doesn't shoot threes like Bradley Beal does. Uh, but, he, you know, he gets the ball and around that curl on a pass, and, like, he'll go to the, he'll go to the basket or maybe he'll shoot a mid-range shot or he'll facilitate or whatever. Bertans, when he sets that screen, he's not very good at, like, loading the guy up. Like, you know, he's not he's not Steven Adams when he sets a screen there because he's not this big, burly guy. But what is really good about him setting a screen is that defenses are really, really scared of him because off of those screens, he would pop out to the three-point line and then that makes defenders go, oh, my God, I can't lose Bertans. Right. And then often you'll have two guys just following Bertans. And if that worked with DeMar DeRozan, the Spurs averaged 1.16 points per possession on plays that Bertans screened for DeMar DeRozan. Not like the two of them averaged those, the Spurs as a team. And for possession, or for, for perspective, like 1.16 points per possession would be if it just like belonged to an offense for the full year would be the best figure in the entire NBA like better than the Warriors better than anybody that's an incredible number and I think he was a big reason for that and if you have just those very simple actions with Bradley Beal 
also likes to come off of screens at the elbow, but who has another option than DeMar DeRozan in that he can go straight to the three-point line. Now you've got him and Bertans running to different points of the three-point line, and you've got two defenders having to follow two of the absolute best three-point shooters in the entire league. Uh, and, you know, Beal obviously is so much more than just a three-point shooter. You have to force the defense to make really quick decisions under high-stress moments. And you have to force defenders to make those types of quick decisions under high-stress moments. That's when they make mistakes. And that's when you can really capitalize and go off. So there are a lot of ways I think he's going to be able to help this team. And a lot of it is based on the fact that he's an incredible three-point shooter. But it's not just the fact that he's going to be catching the ball and shooting it into the hoop. You're making me think of in Philly. I know it's the preseason, but when him... Beal, Bryant, and uh, Jordan McRae are on the court together. I, I don't think the fifth person matters, but I'm envisioning like CJ Miles. Like that's just five guys who can score on you and just give you fits. So yeah, and they're all yeah. weapons from three and all that. McRae a little less, but he's he can nail the mid range pretty easily. But I think this team, you know, offense has never been a problem. Uh, I think it's all going to matter on the defensive end, and I think they're showing you know progression defensively. But uh, that'll always be the question mark, I think, you know, heading into the season. The offense is going to be there. Yeah, I mean, I the offense is going to be there way more than the defense, I think. The defense worries me because yeah. they just – I think they're going to play hard because with kind of just the, the guys they have on the team, they kind of have to play hard. And they, these, this isn't, you know, last year's Wizards where Scott Brooks is going to come out after a game and say they have a play hard problem. <laughs> I don't believe that's going to be the case. Uh but that being said, like, I think we simplify defense too much. You know, I think we we simplify. Oh, all you got to do is play hard because I think that's what our our coaches always told us. Because that's kind of the best way to eliminate it. And it be we don't understand defense, so it becomes easier to simplify. It's just just play hard. And on offense, you can see well the ball's not going in the hoop. Uh, defense is a lot more than playing hard you got to be really skilled and they just don't have a lot of natural defenders and that i think is going to be their downfall like that's why people are picking them to win 20 something games i really think it's more because of the defense than because of the offense like i could see their offense being totally fine uh i could see it being totally fine i could see it being cohesive i could see them having nights where they go off i think they're going to shoot a ton of threes i have a story up on the athletic today about the fact that like one of the most fascinating storylines for me this year is that Scott Brooks has been an NBA coach for 10 years and we've never seen him design an offense from scratch because every single year he's gone into training camp with a ball dominant all-star point guard who kind of dictates how the central themes of his offense have to be because John Wall is a great player and Russell Westbrook is a great player and if you don't let them run your offense then what are you doing? And so now this is kind of the first time he's gone into training camp and we're getting to see a Scott Brooks motion offense that he's putting in. It's been a decade, but we're going to learn something about Scott Brooks. And if the offense ends up being pretty solid, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but defensively, I'm just, I don't really know where that defensive production is going to come from. Fair. Well, Fred, uh, practice is starting soon. Some of us got to go. You got to go. But anything uh, else you want to plug besides your, your article up today? Yeah. Um, listen to Wizards After Dark. We are now, uh, as of today. Uh, sorry, we don't. Uh, just scratch that last part. We don't promote other podcast competitors <laughs> here. Um, 
Let's. Uh, <laughs> but he's after dark, so no one will listen to. It. There, it's there's after dark. It's not, it's not a conflicting time. It's fine. <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah, we don't go up against each other. This is like uh, I'm like the Carson Daly equivalent of your show. <laughs> so uh, listen to. Wizards always thought of you as a Carson Daly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, post post game shows, all that. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. I think it's going to be up on Spotify shortly, or uh, just subscribe to the Athletic. You can go you, for, if you want a discount code. You can go to theathletic.com/slash/wizardsafterdark, and you can get forty percent off. Uh, and uh, you can get all my work there, and David Aldridge's, and Michael Lee's, and Ben Standigs, and all of our Wizards coverage. Not just Wizards, obviously, but every DC sports team with a subscription, and every team from any league that you probably follow: baseball, basketball, football, hockey. WNBA, all that stuff. Uh, we've got coverage of all of that and more. So uh, I think it's worth the subscription, but but I'm biased. So how's your sevens you rugby coverage these days on the Athletic? <laughs> it's it's really good. We actually just doubled up on beat writers there, so we have uh, two beat writers on on every team. Great. So That's what really I, I mean. I assumed the way you guys staff up that you would be on the sevens. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Actually, with the seven specifically, we we're we're hiring like a third freelance guy. Good. Just to concentrate yeah, Jacob's on, looking for a job. I know big sevens rugby guy. I totally know that you have seven people on the field at a time for sevens yeah. rugby. <laughs> All right, I'm actually right. not. I'm like the goal, the goal is to have one B writer concentrating on on each of the seven people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fred. Well, we'll catch up with you later this season. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Fred. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys.